This is episode 224 with the founder of Runner's Tribe, one of Australia's largest running media sites, and the founder of Tarkine, a new startup shoe company for endurance runners, Mr. Sam Burke. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to will help you better understand the running shoe market. My guest Sam and I will talk more about emerging shoe technology, how to make running shoes more environmentally responsible and durable to last for hundreds of miles, and why the big shoe brands don't have the incentives to do either. If you're new to the podcast, you can expect conversations just like this between me and other thought leaders in the running industry. My goal is to elevate your thinking about the sport, help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Strength Running also has an active YouTube channel with hundreds of videos on how to run longer, strength workouts, how to stay healthy and run with better form, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. For more than a decade, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. This episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. They help you analyze your body's biomarker data to give you a clear picture of what's going on inside you. And then they offer science-backed recommendations to improve any metrics that are outside of your unique optimal zones. You can now save $200 on Inside Tracker's ultimate plan, plus their free inner age test with code STRENGTHRUNNINGGIFT. Or you can just get 25% off site-wide with code STRENGTHRUNNING. All the details are at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning, so you can check them all out there. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, a health and wellness company that makes AG1, a category-leading greens mix that has 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase or a monthly drop. You can see all the details at athleticgreens.com Jason. My guest today is a leader in the Australian running community. Sam Burke started Runner's Tribe way back in 2008, and it's grown to be one of the largest media sites for running in all of Australia. They're known for their elite athlete interviews and training diaries that shed light on how pro runners approach the sport. He's also looking to bend the arc of history in the running shoe industry with his new company, Tarkine. He's creating a high-mileage performance trainer that's eco-friendly and can last for up to 1,000 kilometers. Our conversation focuses on what he's learned about the history of training from profiling so many pro runners across decades, the compromises shoe manufacturers must make to create responsive, durable, fast shoes, and how he's planning to change all that. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Sam Burke. All right, Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. 
So we've got a lot to discuss today. You're one of the founders of Runner's Tribe, one of the big running media organizations in Australia. And I know that you're launching a new footwear company for runners called Tarkine. And I know we're going to talk about both. Maybe we can start with Runner's Tribe. This is something I believe you started in 2008, right? How did this start uh, back then? Right. Yeah, right. So uh, me and my mate, uh, Ross Johnson, uh, grew up with and went through high school with and um, you know, it was back in 2008, I just, I was like a year or two out of uni and I was a bit bored with, with my job. And, um, there was no real, real website in Australia at that point. There was, um, Athletics Australia, which was the main kind of governing body website. And, and there was nothing else. There weren't, you know, a couple maybe blogs around, but there was nothing that people went to, to, to hang out and check out athletics news. And, uh, and so I, we just thought, bugger it, you know, let's just have, have some fun and start it. We didn't really have like any grand plans or, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing, to be honest with you. It was, it was a pretty shitty website, the first one that we popped up. And, um, but there was, a, there was definitely a target market for it because, uh, you know, we had uh, – I was running a lot of the time and so we had kind of access to a lot of the elite uh, milers and 800 runners and middle distance runners out there. And um, so we did a lot of interviews and blogs and it just kind of took off. Like people really enjoyed it and, um, and we managed to, you know, nab some sponsors pretty much after the first couple of months and, um, and that really helped us. And, and then it went from there, you know. Uh, it's definitely had us up and down years, but um, we still pretty much do what we did from day one. Um, we, we publish blogs and um, interviews and news and anything we think could be fun and cool and um, interesting for the, for the uh, running community. And, you know, our main, our main audience is still in Australia. Like it's hard to change that. But, um, you know, we definitely get people reading our, our site from all over the world, and that helps as well. Yeah, I mean, you have such a crazy amount of content. I mean, you guys post podcast episodes and interviews with elite runners and uh, training diaries of of pro runners. And, you know, I'm no stranger to content creation, and I recognize how much work is put into all the articles, the video, the podcasts. How are you able to cover so much material? It's quite impressive. Yeah, it's like it's a lot of content. Like, I mean, look, Russ and I have worked very hard on it, you know, and I think, uh, you know, people just see a website. Obviously, it's like anything you do in life, like any business or, you know, you don't see what goes on behind the scenes. But there's been like, thousands and thousands of hours spent. Um, and it's definitely not like it's definitely not the sort of business that pays you well for that. You know, it's definitely a, a, something that we do for love and I've had another. I've had another job for you know since I left uni too to to get by. Like it's not this hugely profitable thing or anything, but um, you know it's definitely you know, we love doing it. Uh, and we have a cool team. You know, like we have Len Johnson, who's been he's a you know career journalist. He worked for the Age in Melbourne, a big newspaper, one of the big newspapers in Australia uh, for many years. And he's, he's he works for the IAAF as well, and he's he's widely regarded. And, um, and then we've picked up a bunch of other helpers over the years. Um, a guy you know, Brian Green, um, you know, had wrote for us for a while. We've picked up, um, you know, I've got a mate, Daniel Wallace, who wrote for us for years and still helps out. He's actually just finished a podcast yesterday with Zane Robertson, the uh, New Zealand distance runner. Um, and, and, and then we have like, you know, probably 10 like freelance writers and um, journalists who just send us content on a kind of fortnightly to monthly basis. Some of them just rock up every three months with something cool and flick it our way. And that that adds up. But I think the majority of the work has been me and Ross and then just like, you know, 15, 20 helpers over the years who who have fun and get involved. Yeah. Now from all the different kind of content that you create, all the different, 
you know, profiles of elite runners. What would you say is the most popular thing that you guys work on that really resonates with other athletes? I think the like the blogs are, both, are, are, are super popular. You know, like we and we don't just do blogs with like you know Olympic finalists. It's the blogs with just you know up and coming uh, middle distance runners and, and runners um, are super popular, and they get picked up. You know, by kids sharing it on their social media feeds, and uh, you know they go viral throughout. You know, uni, uni, you know colleges and high schools, and uh, in, you know on big WhatsApp groups and all that stuff. And 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 that's that's kind of our core content. And I like doing that because it it, it you know it's really nice if if you're a junior, if you're a 15 year old, and you you really want to make it in the running world and be a be a mile or 800 runner, distance runner, sprinter, whatever it is, and and to, to get that recognition and to get your name up on a on a worldwide website that you know has some decent reach, um, it kind of it's a feel good thing, you know. It, it's like it really is motivating for these kids and and stuff. And I think that's where that's what I enjoy the most. But I think we've done a lot of work on training for um, of famous runners, and that is always like ridiculously popular. You know, people we spend a lot of time actually, you know verifying our our content not just putting stuff out that um isn't true so um each article has many many hours spent on it and um you know people love that stuff people you know people think if i train the way that peter snell trained i can be like peter smell snell and it's obviously that's not how life works but um but people still love that content yeah i remember one of the first running books i ever bought as i think a high schooler was this book about famous runners and some of their favorite workouts and just kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like reading, I, I think the New York times had like some series called, uh, you know, the, the sex diaries where, you know, people would just share all these intimate details about their lives. And it, it's the same thing for runners, right? It's let me share you share all these intimate details about my training and my splits and my volume and mileage and runners eat that up. I know for me, when I started realizing that, wow, there are runners out there who are working way harder than me right now, that's when I sort of got this reality check that, you know, if I wanted to really make it, if I wanted to improve so substantially, you know, not that I have to go run, you know, 200 kilometers a week or, or something crazy like that, but I do have to start ratcheting up the effort for sure. And so I think that's a great service for those younger runners, like you were saying, because it, it kind of opens their eyes to what the pros are doing and, and even what some of those sub elite runners are doing. You know, not everyone is, is training at that volume, but we can certainly learn from it. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, it's easy to think you're training hard when you're in your little bubble, you know, and you're fin- finishing your workouts, you know, um, bugged, but, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the good guys will have a, you know, three minute rest and then repeat that, repeat what you just did. And instead of going home and, um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta learn about exact, exactly how hard some people that make it work to, to realize what it takes, right? Yeah. It's almost like it, it expands that bubble that you're in. Cause, cause I certainly remembered being in high school and I didn't really pay much attention to running outside of my conference and then my home state of Massachusetts. And, you know, I, I thought I was okay. And then, wow, when you start opening your eyes to what other people are doing all over the place, it, it is quite humbling, but I think it's, it's a really valuable experience. Um, now, Sam, one of the things that I think you guys do really well is highlight the training of elite runners, you know, like we've been talking about, um, especially from decades past, you know, you don't really focus on 
runners that are at their peak right now, you, you go back and you, you look at runners that might have been at their peak five years ago, 10 years ago, and even a lot longer than that. I'm curious, since you've sort of profiled so many elite athletes over the decades, have you noticed any changes or differences in how those elite athletes used to train maybe 20, 30, 40 plus years ago and how pro runners are now training? Is is high level training like that, is that evolving? Have you noticed any trends or changes over time? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely evolving. You know, I think if you look at guys like, you know, Stuart McSween and what he's doing today, it's, there's a lot more, you know, the, the theory that, you know, Nick Badeau and his coach works off of this, there's, there's so much consistency behind it and it doesn't doesn't really, like if you look at the classic Lydiard system that was, you know, went through stages and cycles where he'd like literally for three months just do mile, like huge mileage and then he would, the next step would be doing hill reps and the next step would be doing track work. And, you know, like it, it, I think a lot of the, most of the top guys are, are just kind of doing very similar routines every single week, you know, um, big mileage, good, some some a little bit of quality chucked in there, but, you know, it doesn't matter who you talk to, like the, the fist, especially, I'm not really referring to 800 running, but for 1500 up, you know, the guys that make it really all do seem to train similar. You know, they're doing, you know, doing decent mileage, like pretty big bloody mileage actually. Um, and, and they're being pretty careful with their intense track work. You know, they're doing, you know, one big track session a week maybe, but, um, you know, very consistent miles, long runs, uh, you know, mile reps, K reps, all that, you know, thresholds. I definitely think that the whole tempo and threshold thing has cha- has is a bra- is a new thing. You know, like that. I think the guys, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, if you, when you chat to them, they're like, "We used to smash our long runs," and I think that was their equivalent of a tempo or threshold. Is that they would do their, you know, ninety minute or two hour run on a Sunday, but they would be flogging it, you know, and so that was kind of their equivalent of their tempo threshold. I didn't really call it that. I didn't have that terminology back then, but that's kind of the, what they were achieving. Whereas today we actually, um, you know, quantify that more and give it a term, and uh, and it's a huge stable of of nearly every top top athlete's um, program. Remember, even like back fifteen years ago, like you know, in the early two thousands, like um, it wasn't doing a thirty or twenty minute threshold once a week or tempo once a week wasn't really a stable part of most Australians' middle distance um, program. Uh, whereas now it is. It's pretty hard to find someone that's made it that doesn't do that once a week, and so. Um, that's the main difference, yeah. Um, but I think, like, also just quickly, like, the, you know, back when uh, Lydiard was um, having such success, uh, they were doing huge mileage. And then there was a bit of a transition away from that with the whole Sepco movement and, uh, you know, and, and maybe a lot of athletes got, you know, stuck on doing a huge amount of quality work on the track. And then there's kind of, I think there's been a switch back away from that. Um, there's still a lot of quality there, but um, back to just... Um, really build in that huge aerobic base and a huge aerobic engine. Yeah, this is sort of one of my favorite topics within the running world is is kind of the evolution of training over time. I think it's just so fascinating because you can sort of see how the focus has really changed over the decades. And you can kind of go back to the 50s and maybe 60s where, you know, folks like Roger Bannister uh, and, and, uh, Landry, they were doing relatively low volume, but most of it was quality. And so it's very different than how a miler or, you know, a 5k athlete might train today. And then that sort of gave way to, you know, in the seventies, like you were saying, like high volume smashing those long runs. I think a great example is, um, 
you know, Boston Billy winning the Boston Marathon so many times. And his a lot of his training logs are public and it's very high mileage. Uh, there's not as many like brutally hard workouts. And so it's it was this transition. And I feel like today we've kind of settled into this lovely little great middle ground where we are still focusing on volume because I think we've discovered that you just really can't achieve your potential if you're running, you know, 50 kilometers in a week, but you also can't ignore the volume, uh, the intensity. And so there's this nice push and pull of having both in the training cycle. And, and I think that is just to the benefit of runners and, and the fact that, you know, so many elite runners over the years have sort of been our, our guinea pigs and have shown us the the way to train is really encouraging. And, and it's such a great time to be a distance runner too, right? Because I feel like we've mostly figured out the big picture of training endurance runners. And so I think it's very exciting. Yeah, totally. Now, Sam, I want to talk a little bit more about something else that has been rapidly evolving over, especially the last decade or so, which is shoe technology. And and you're in a really interesting space because you're one of the few people in the world with a startup shoe company. This is probably one of the most difficult businesses to start, very high uh, barrier to entry, but it's really fascinating what you're doing. Um, what, what I like about Tarkine, your new shoe company, is you're making a performance running shoe that is also environmentally responsible, and it's supposed to last for about 1,000 kilometers, or if my math is right, 620 miles. That seems to me like a, a game changer. I'd love to talk more about maybe the obvious question, how in the world is a running shoe going to last for over 600 miles? Yeah, I mean... It's it really like, you know, when we put those numbers out there, there's like, you know, to be open and transparent here, there's like there's variation for every athlete. Like if, you, if you're if you a heavier type of runner and you run a lot on the roads, like you're going to bang that shoe out a lot. Obviously any shoe uh, that you put, anything you put on your foot, you're going to smash through it a lot quicker than say, you know, like a, a very, very light runner who does most of their running on, you know, grass trails or, you know, all through the bush or, or whatnot, okay. And so... Um, and like, you know, I, I kind of wish we didn't actually put that, you know, above a more than 1,000K thing out there because it's, um there is a huge amount of variation. I, I know I'm going to get some angry emails from people saying, oh, shit, you know, the shoe didn't quite last what you guys promised and I bet they're going to be heavier runners, you know. And so, um, the, look, the shoe tech, um, I could talk all day about it, but like, you know, for, to make a durable shoe, you've got to give up in some other areas. It's all, you know, making shoes is all about, um, a trade-off like many things in life like you know you got to take and give and it's the same with making shoes and if you want something to be a bit more durable than than another shoe um usually there's a bit of a trade-off in weight okay like you need to add something in there to make it a little bit more durable okay like if you take the classic pebat shoes that nike are making that are really designed for racing right but um, um they get slammed on the road because you know if you just look at what they're made out of and how soft and squishy and bouncy and cool they are um, they obviously, like if you when you abuse them on hard road, they get they you know start breaking apart quickly. Whereas if you look at some other midsoles, so um, you know that have more rubber content in it, uh, and there's different types of rubber. I'm just using that in a very broad broad term, but um, and that um, can increase durability a lot. Okay, and also in how these um, the foaming what sort of foaming technology you use, um, which I won't go into too much, but 
you know, it, it depends. Like, are you using some cheap, shitty old old way of of making midsoles, um, or are you using kind of the latest tech, and that can really increase durability too. So, I guess to, to answer that question, you know, the durability things comes down to the foaming process that we've come up with and been experimenting with for years, plus a little bit of extra um, kind of formula uh, rubber into our formula to to increase that um, durability too. Yeah, I remember in I think in high school and a little bit in college, I raced a lot of cross country races in the Nike Waffle. And this was a classic flat uh, that you could screw in the spikes on the bottom. And there was no foam in this shoe. It was all rubber. And and I recognized after racing in these season after season, you know, I would wear them on the track as well. And I realized that they don't really wear too well. You know, they, they, they stay, you know, it's just a slab of rubber underneath your foot. And as long as the upper isn't getting ripped in some way, or, you know, your toes not popping out the top or something like that, the shoe's going to last almost forever. And I have seen other shoes with that rubber sole. Um, what is the upper of, of a Tarkine shoe made out of? So the upper, uh, our first shoe uh, is a high mileage, a neutral high mileage trainer. And um, the upper is made literally from, um, you know, plastic bags and scrap from ocean. So it's this company a uh, European company that goes around and, and collects uh, rubbish uh, and, you know, has a process to turn it into yarn, upper yarn, okay, and so and we buy the fabric off those guys. And um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a good process because it's, it costs more because obviously it's recycled trash, but, um, you know, so it's a one-piece upper. And, and I think the benefit of that is that, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't sound comfy having like a bit of plastic scrap on your foot. But um, but it is, you know, it, it doesn't feel too much different to a normal knit upper. Um, it's just a it's a little bit more durable and hardy. But um, you know, it really like it, it doesn't break down. You know, like a lot of like knit upper shoes, you can poke holes in the toes eventually. Whereas whereas because this is a made from you know plastic scraps, it it literally you know I've got a pair that I've done fourteen hundred k in, and the upper you know you can you can hose or wash the upper and clean it, and it kind of looks like new again. You know, so I think. Uh, up is super cool, uh, very durable, doesn't really break. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, that's a summary on that upper, yeah. And just quickly, with the rubber stuff, there's, there's two bits of rubber in shoes. There's, like, the outsole that you whack on the bottom of a shoe. That's stuck to the midsole. But then you can actually also mix a little bit of rubber into the midsole content, you know, um, into the, that main foamy, chunky bit. Um, and so by adding durability, you, you obviously need rubber on the outsole on the bottom of the shoe. But you also... If you just, um, you know, a lot of shoe companies are mixing that little bit of rubber into the midsole too, which can add a little bit, little bit more durability. Yeah, I feel like a lot of shoes now are, are very squishy, very bouncy. Is that because they have more foam and less rubber or is there a different reason for that? Oh, uh, there's a few different reasons. Like, I mean, let's say everyone knows about like the next percent example, right? So they're, they're using a completely different formula. Like they're using um, Pebax, okay? And Pebax is uh, a super squishy, uh, bouncy, uh, you know, midsole. Okay, that it, you know it doesn't it, it breaks down a bit quicker, but but you can you can get some decent mileage out of a pair of um, you know those shoes, right? Um, if, if you're cool with them fraying and um, the, the you know the bottom of it getting a bit kind of messed up, that's fine, you know. And so and that's squishy. And then if you look at you know like a pair of Brooks or something. Um, you know, they use a combination where they have a bunch of rubber mixed in um, with their midsole. Uh, and then if you look at like Adidas, like they're using like pretty much a TPU midsole, um, which is squishy, but a, a, bit, a bit heavy. Um, and so, 
yeah, there's different ways to achieve that. Like you can get pretty much any foam, you can change the density of that foam. It's just a, that's just a part of uh, stuffing around with the formula uh, when in the foaming process. Uh, how much air do you want to put in it? You know, how dense do you want it to be? And so any foam you can make, you can make, you know, any foam you can make it super hard or super soft. You can add extra little bits to it. It's like literally like the formula of Coke, you know. You can, if you've got, uh, if you've got like manufacturers that know how to do it and you've got the ideas in your head uh, and you've got some, a bit of money and time up your sleeve, you can, you can just play around with formulas until you come up with um, what you think is a nice, squishy, bouncy, you know, but not too squishy thing. Like, it's a high mileage trainer, right? So we, we're not trying to have people running on like, you know, um, it needs to be a responsive shoe is what I'm getting at. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't want people feeling like they're running in soft sand or something like that. Uh, yeah, and that's my main issue with like shoes that are too squishy, right? It's like you just, I just don't like, I mean, I think um, we chatted to Brad Beer, like a really a well-known physio in Australia. He works, works with a bunch of Olympians and, you know, like doing these, he, he, he was kind of bringing up and something that kind of guys in the shoe industry kind of been talking about for years, but that there's, you know, having shoes that are too squishy and too big a stack heights, I mean, we are creating a whole new set of issues here. Um, we're not like, you know, there's some big, big companies that are coming out with market employees like that, that all this stuff will prevent injury and it's complete bullshit, you know, like you're not, you're not preventing injuries by putting more foam under your feet. You're just you're changing the load, you know. The load's going from one place to another place um, and, uh, you know, it's the, the way to prevent injuries is by being by strong and having great coaching and not overdoing the training and, you know, doing all those things right. Okay. The shoes are just something that go under your feet. And um, I think uh, people get lost in it a little bit sometimes, you know. It sort of reminds me of when minimalist shoes got really popular around 2009, 2010. And, you know, all the claims were, you know, this, this is really going to help, you know, with your uh, with your knee problems, because we've seen all these studies where all the, the load at the knee is vastly reduced. But like you said, the load just moves around. It moved down to the ankle and minimalism was a boon for podiatrists everywhere because oh, yeah. so many runners were coming in and, and having foot and ankle problems because of those shoes. Oh, yeah. Uh, was, yeah. yeah. I love that you're very honest about what shoes can and can't do. I like that. Yeah. It's just, you know, like we've all met runners who, you know, they go for it, they get injured and then they hold their shoes up and they say, I'm never wearing these bloody shoes again. And it's like, you know, uh, we are to blame for our injuries, okay? You know, like it's very rare that you can blame a pair of shoes for injuries. Like we are to blame by uh, every single injury I've had is because I've overdone it. You know, I've like overtrained and not listened to my those little niggles, not listened to my body. Uh, you know, and the shoes are great fun to have on your feet. Don't get me wrong, you know, and a great pair of shoes makes experience a lot more fun. Uh, and there's certain things I think shoes need to do, you know, like our shoe has a definitely a wider toe box than most people will be used to. Uh, and just, it's just us experimenting with a bunch of different, different ideas and shoes. And I just, I, I just don't get why we are squishing out. Um, I've got skinny feet, right? I'm not, I'm not like one of these huge guys with big, broad feet. I've got really, really skinny feet, and I just don't understand why we are squishing out our toe box, our toes into tiny little narrow shoes, you know. Um, it's certainly not, uh, you know, a biomechanically normal thing to do. Um, and so we have a bit of a wider toe box there, and, we, you know, we don't have a huge drop. You know, it's like, uh, you know, even a few Mizunos and Asics and even some Nikes still have 10, 11, 12 mil drops. We're, we're at a six mil drop. So we're kind of in that safe middle ground 
pocket are pretty much always a five mil drop. Um, and so we're kind of, that's the trend these days, you know, around five, six mil drops. And, and that's where we're, that's where we're at. It's a nice, safe, high mileage trainer shoe with, you know, some cool, cool tech behind it. Yeah, I love that. That also happens to be like my sweet spot personally for heel to toe drop, which is about, I would say about four to eight millimeters, anything too high. It feels like I'm wearing a high heeled shoe, anything too low. I feel like I'm wearing, you know, basically nothing at all. And and my strides a little off, but that middle ground I think is really great. Now you mentioned that the Tarkine's a neutral shoe. Um, can you tell me more about some of just the, the the features of the shoe? You mentioned the wider toe box. You mentioned the fact that it's a neutral shoe. So I assume that it doesn't have a, a medial post or, or some of those more motion control oriented features in it. No, it definitely doesn't have a medial post. Um, we have like, uh, you know, other brands refer to them as say um, guide rails or, you know, really what, what it is is like if when you put your foot in a shoe, and you look at the foam from the outside, just from, you know, someone just looking at the shoe from the outside. Um, what you see with that foam isn't always, that's not always all the foam underfoot, right? Some of that foam can just actually have a tiny little rail on it that you can't really see that will go up the side of your feet a tiny bit and kind of cradle your feet within that shoe, okay? So um, we have a tiny um, little side rail, if you want to call it, that helps um, get your foot nice and snug. But it's only it only runs up a little bit. It's not a huge rail at all, and that goes around the whole foot, right? Except for the, not the forefoot, but um, for the midfoot and the heel area, and it will cup your your foot foot in there in a kind of a gentle, subtle way. Um, and that's really the only yeah. You know, I wouldn't even call that stability control because it's it wraps around kind of um, you know from the midfoot around the heel on both sides, right? Um, other than that, it's, we don't have added arch control. Uh, there's no, it's just like a neutral trainer. Okay. And so, um, if you want to, for people with orthotics, they can easily take the insert out, wipe their orthotics in. That's no problem. It's designed for that. But it also has, you know, a, a soft liner or an insert, whatever people, some people refer to them differently that, um, it sits inside that shoe that you can remove, um, and add, you know, and it's like a traditional kind of neutral high mileage trainer. I love it. Now, Sam. You've mentioned a, a couple times that a couple features of the shoe are super eco-conscious. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about your efforts in trying to make an environmentally responsible shoe. You know, you mentioned earlier that you you basically get recycled plastic for the upper, and, and that's actually more expensive. So I'm curious how all that works because it seems like <laughs> recycled plastic maybe should be less expensive than raw materials. Yeah, it's just that with raw materials, you just uh, like it's just cheap and nasty you just buy it and then just turn it into a shoe it's like that when you're cycling something there's a whole new step of that supply chain you know like you have to go find it and pay someone to find it um and then you it, you know it's all dirty and disgusting you need to clean it and turn it into and mix it and melt it and flatten it and then turn it into yarn and so there's there's a whole there's a few extra steps there and, it, and each step costs money you know um and so and that's why it's more expensive okay and so um, and it's kind of hard to turn disgusting trash into something beautiful, okay? And so you've got to, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into that, and that's why it's more expensive. And so we've put, um, the upper is is just like the start of the eco stuff. You know, we have our outsole rubber that's stuck on. You would never know it, but it's actually made from from what we call pre-consumer waste. So a lot of um, companies, when they're working with rubber, they will, um, you know, cut the rubber up that they need uh, for that product, and then the off-cuts will just get chucked in the bin, okay? And so... 
we um uh, we get those offcuts uh, and then we use those offcuts to make our to make our rubber. Okay, obviously we're working with Pacific Company that and the and you know so that we're using the quality rubber that we that we need. Okay, um, but you will never know. It's super good quality rubber. It's just you know we just prevented it getting chucked in the bin and going straight to the tip. You know, and so um, and so our outsole is made using you know recycled rubber. Um, and out for sock liner or insert, you take in and out of the shoe. We spent uh, years working with this American chemical company to add some um, some biomarkers in there that will help it break down in compost. So um, so you can run in, you can run. Usually these inserts are made insoles are made using a TPU or an EVA material that um, takes you know that hundreds to up to thousand years to break down in landfill. Um, whereas um, by by kind of experimenting, it took us about two years. We we figured out how to to, to, to add some stuff in uh, to you know help this thing break down, and it breaks down in about like if, if it's a well used, if you've been running in that shoe for a long time or wearing it around, uh, it's already kind of a bit trashed, and then uh, you cut it up into about a bunch of different bits, whack it in a compost bin, and ninety days later you can't find it; it's just turned into soil, and so that's um that for us was a huge breakthrough. To my knowledge, no one's been able to do that before. Um, and so that's um, uh, some tech we have that no one else does. But there's, but there's been attention to like every single part of the shoe, like our laces are recycled, plus they also biodegrade. Um, even the lining, like around the heel counter, um, we use um, either GOT certified organic cotton, which is just um, a better form, you know, or we use uh, this um, recycled mesh. So now you don't actually have any cotton touching your feet because that would stink, okay? But, um, but on the inside bits where no one can really see. But um, but there's mesh, um, the mesh kind of on the inside of, of, of the shoe. It's, it's all kind of recycled and um, there's a lot of attention that's gone into kind of every aspect of that shoe, yeah. I love that the insole is compostable and 90 days later, you won't even find it in a compost. That that I think is just amazing. Um, do you think any of these technologies or, or just different ways of making a running shoe, would they be more cost-effective at, higher scales or 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 something like that i guess i'm just curious like why aren't more shoes made like this you know um there are some brands making efforts like adidas um had their parlay series um you know a, a bunch of pocket shoes um are made using about 70 percent recycled um uppers these days um and on running they're definitely making some efforts too into the eco-friendly side of things um i guess like uh you know it is hard for kind of a lot of these brands with their supply chains in place and if they're producing a huge amount of shoes and they got to keep that machine running, you know, and it's like, it's a lot easier for a startup to come along um, and do it right from day one um, because we can scale with that business model in place, right? Um, it's, and it's super hard. Like, you know, we offer a recycling program where people mail the shoes back and we recycle it. So um, it's pretty hard. Like if, if Nike tried to do that overnight, Imagine, imagine the logistical nightmares. I mean, they could probably pull it off, but um, and it also reduces margin. Like at the end of the day, like every single question in life comes down to money. Uh, nearly uh, when people ask stuff like that, and so it's like, you know, um, to do this right costs money, and the margins are lower. Uh, and uh, you know, a lot of these brands are stock listed companies with shareholders, and it's all about their quarterly earnings reports and um, and hitting those and exceeding those and. Uh, and it's harder to do if, you know, you've got some annoying little pesky uh, department in your company that wants to start recycling every shoe and cutting into your margins, okay? And that's the harsh reality of, of, of the business world. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm sure 
most shoe executives don't want to be making shoes that last for twice as long. You know, they want to keep people buying new shoes. Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. And there are some, look, there are some brands out there that make pretty bloody durable shoes, to be honest. But um, you know, but but sure, like it's just it's a hard it's a hard process to to do things like you know to recycle stuff and to go through this. It's it takes a whole shift in their business philosophy and the direction that their business is going and. That's a hard thing to do once you have a business that's, you know, doing a billion, couple billion of sales a year or whatnot, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, Sam, I'm really excited for you. It sounds like you're plugged into the Australian running community and and I hope they're really excited about the Tarkine shoes that are coming available soon. Remind me, are, are they now available? Um, it, well, they will be in a certain, very soon. So we launched a Kickstarter campaign um, about on, on the 15th of November um and we had like we we, we didn't we were pretty ner- nervous before launching that we didn't really know what's going to happen but we um we had a target of just raising thirty thousand um you know for it but we hit that target within in about three and a half hours um and then you know, we're like we've uh, you know we've raised like 230 percent above our target now so um and we've still got tw- we're only 10 days into that like we've still got you know 20 days left so i think that's going to go up a lot more and um, there's definitely a bit of a like a, a good buzz around it, and we've had huge support, and more support than I thought we would have, and it's just really, really exciting. And um, I think the cool thing about our camp, our Kickstarter campaign, is that most campaigns you need to kind of wait seven, eight, nine, twelve months or more for your product to rock up. But our shoes have been made, um, and they're about to hit the ship. So we just, as soon as like you know, we we have we have a lot of belief in what we're doing. Uh, and we've been working on this for years. We know the shoes are great. I mean, tested, tested, kind of like you know, till the cows come home, as they say. And like, they they are really cool shoes. And so we we placed we we've already placed our order. Okay, like we need help from the Kickstarter world um, because we're a startup and 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 this is a brutal business with huge overheads. But and so that's why we did Kickstarter. But uh, these shoes are on their way. Uh, we will have them. Um, we we wrote March on the Kickstarter campaign. We're gonna. We're going, to, we're going to beat that by far. We're going to have these shoes late December or in early Jan, um, and people are going to be getting their shoes super fast, and, uh, and we'll be pretty well stocked after that, um, and people will be able to order online. Well, that's really exciting. I, I hope to one day maybe run in a pair and, and check them out myself. I, I don't think I've ever worn a, a pair of such unique shoes. Um, Sam, is there anything I missed about all the interesting things you're doing from Runner's Tribe to Tarkine and hopefully changing the shoe industry one one pair of shoes one runner at a time well i think i think we covered a lot of it you know um i think like you know these days with shoe geeks listening to this they probably want to know a bit more about our midsole and like we we use a super critical process like an infused it's an infused midsole so um other brands that you know will you know say you know we'll refer that to like a super foam or whatnot and it's a really cool midsole you know like you can't the days of just bringing out a shoe with a boring EVA midsole are over. Uh, we spent years like um, experimenting with our midsole foam. Uh, it's a really cool foam. Uh, it's pretty light. Uh, it's durable, as we discussed, and it's nitrogen and CO2 infused with with a few extra things added in. And so it's it's super fun, fun shoe. It's not like it's a feel good shoe. Like I know with the eco friendly stuff, but but far and wide, like you know, we come from a running background. You know, um, you know, we we're. We found a runner's tribe. We are we are deep into that kind of elite end of um, running that we that we love. And the pr- priority one was to create a kick-ass running shoe that we can have. You know, our goal is to if we can make this work, is to sponsor elite runners, help bring you know help elite juniors kind of make it to 
you know, the elite adult age. I'm kind of like, you know, with Runners Tribe, I've been working with all of these different shoe companies since 2008, and they all piss me off, like majorly, and I'm sick of getting bullied by them. And, um, you know, it's time that we have an Australian um, uh, shoe company, you know, that can that can sponsor our kids and um, look after our athletes um, instead of sending it all overseas. And, um, and so that's really, you know... Um, part of it but it's, it's just a great running shoe for serious runners too like it's not just uh, an eco-friendly shoe that's not where what we're about goal one was to create a kick-ass running shoe you know yeah i love it and i really enjoyed the video that you have up on the kickstarter and i'm going to include uh, a link to that if folks want to check out the shoe if they want to order one and support you guys on kickstarter i think you're doing really amazing things for the running community so sam thanks so much for your time i know you had to get up very early to chat with me today since you're on the other side of the world so i, I very much appreciate it it's all good. i got two young kids so i was up at i was up at like 4 30 so Oh, you know the drill. This yeah, is this yeah, isn't yeah. even early for you. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, it's all good, mate. I really appreciate time and um and everything you do and your podcast. So, yeah, cheers. And there it is. That's my conversation with Sam Burke. You can learn more and pre-order a pair of Tarkine trainers at tarkine.com, and you can peek behind the curtain of elite performance at runnerstribe.com. And finally, I'm so grateful for our sponsors. If you get value from the podcast, please support us by supporting them. Inside Tracker is one of the most reputable personal blood testing companies in the country. They were founded in 2009 by aging, genetics, and biometric scientists to help you analyze your body's data and get a firm idea of how well you're responding to all that hard training you're doing. Understanding your body's biomarkers, from stress hormones to testosterone to vitamin D, can help you figure out if you're overtraining or optimally training. But the best part is that they give you personalized optimal ranges for each of the biomarkers that they test. And then, if you're outside of your unique range, they give you a whole host of ways to improve those markers through diet, lifestyle, or exercise. I've personally gotten three ultimate tests from them, and I love it. The process is simple, it's easy, and I find it very eye-opening. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning to see their new Black Friday offers. You can get $200 off their ultimate plan that comes with a free inner age test with code STRENGTHRUNNINGGIFT, or you just get 25% off site-wide. See all the details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. I personally struggle with eating healthy all the time, and I know that I should be, especially when I'm training very hard. And I find their product AG1 super helpful in this way. One scoop per day gives me 75 vitamins and minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, including a greens superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly and it just gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And with all three of my kids in school, I know I've got to support my immune system or else I'm getting sick and can't run. But what I love about AG1 is that the product actually changes over time. Over the last decade, they've made 53 improvements to the formula based on the latest research to make all those nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with all the third-party testing that they do. 
If you go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason, you can see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You can get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. Sign up for a single shipment or a monthly drop if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. That's our show today, runners. Thank you so much for being part of the Strength Running community and listening today. If you got any value from this show, I would so appreciate a note. You can reach me at support at strengthrunning.com or you can leave a review in Apple Music. Until next time. <laughs>